You can be seated. Second Corinthians chapter 4 is where I'm going to ask you to turn with me this morning. And let me just say as I get started, I missed being with y'all last weekend. I really did. I watched it online from the uh, dining room of the pastor of the Oasis Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. I sat there at his table while he was preparing his sermon and message for the afternoon. And uh, I especially appreciated the kind words y'all gave at the end of that. Uh, I was like a blubbering little baby sitting at his table. I was crying because I couldn't believe how kind you were to me from so far away. And so let me just say I missed you guys terribly, and I'm really glad to be here with you this morning. Thank you so much. And I hope that you enjoyed being able to hear from Sam. And as he brought the word of God, I hope that you had a chance to encourage him a little bit too. So just know I'm glad to be back with you all. And glad to continue in our study, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And what we're going to look at today is the joy of difficult ministry. You don't think those things go together, but they do. Because one thing that Paul wants to make sure we abundantly understand is that as Christians, we are given a purpose to be ministers of reconciliation in a world that is lost in darkness, that knows nothing of everlasting hope and joy. And we as Christians get to be lights in a dark world, shining and reflecting that which Jesus has already shown us in the word. And so this morning, I want to point you to the difficulty of ministry and the joy of ministering even in difficult circumstances. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to look at the first six verses this morning, uh, and I'm going to ask you, if you're physically able, one more time, stand with me. Let's read God's Word together because we love God's Word. We're thankful for it this morning, and let's look at the problem but also the solution in ministry. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, here's what the ESV Version says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we love you. We ask you to help us this morning to learn from your word. Father, teach us, encourage us by your word. Feed us the truth so that we might hate sin more and love you more. God, help us to see that every single person who puts their trust in you is a minister of the gospel. You are using them to tell people about Christ and the rescue that's in him alone. Father, it's hard. You tell us it's going to be difficult to be a child of yours, but in the end, it's all worth it. Help us to cling to that and to see it this morning. God, encourage our hearts through your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated for just a moment. I think the first thing that Paul lays before us in these verses is the glory of ministry. 
Now notice, he is connecting what he's written here to what he's already just shared. We know that because he uses the word therefore at the beginning of verse 1. And that therefore tells us that building on what he's already said throughout the letter, but specifically in chapter 3, where Paul laid out the fact that the old covenant under Moses was certainly good, and it was certainly a glorious way of God revealing himself, Paul tells us that the new covenant through Jesus' blood is superior to the old one under Moses. And the answer is quite evident to us when we look at the intended purpose behind them. The old covenant, that which was under Moses, the, the law written on tablets for human beings, was God's grace to humanity to show our sin to us, to show us the perfection of God and realizing that we can't attain to that. The whole purpose of the law under Moses was to show us that you and I are not God and nor can we be. That's good news. It hurts. Because no one likes to be told they're deficient in any way or that they lack something. But God begins by showing us that apart from God, we have nothing but death and suffering. Now, that was what the law brought. Paul says it was good because it exposed sin. But here's the problem with the law. It could expose sin, but guess what it didn't have the power to do? Cause you to walk in holiness. It only exposed where you failed. There was no power in it to actually cause you to live again. That's why the new covenant in Jesus' blood is superior. Because not only do we see the perfection of God again, just like we saw it in the law, but this time we see the perfection of God in Jesus Christ and we also see his willingness to give himself up so that you and I might be redeemed and cleansed of our sin. And now we can actually live lives that give God glory. You can actually live a righteous life, not off what you can do, but what God does through you. See what I'm saying? So Jesus and the era he ushers in in his blood, the new covenant is far superior as Jesus is far superior than Moses himself. You with me so far? There. Four, verse 1, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Can I point out a couple of things for you about the glory of ministry? Number one, you and I don't deserve it. Uh, and that's not my opinion. Paul says having this ministry by what? Mercy of God. You know what that means? You know what mercy is? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Now, grace is, right? Grace is the opposite of that. Grace, whoo, you're tracking with me, aren't you? Mercy is not getting something we deserve. What did we deserve? We deserved death. We deserved punishment. We deserved the wrath of God. But instead, what has God given? He's actually rescued you, saved you, cleansed you of your sin, gets you walking in righteousness, and guess what? That's mercy from him. He's not punishing us. Because of what Jesus did, we now have the good news of the fact that we can be forgiven by God and his love and mercy overreigns all that we deserved. That's the good news, right? That's the good news. And you and I do not deserve that. As we are ministers for God, it might be helpful for us to remember we don't deserve it. Because sometimes we start to walk around acting like we did. Mm. 
me too. I start walking around like I kind of earned some of this. I kind of deserved it. God, I wasn't that bad of a guy. Oh, yes, I was. Because even the good stuff I did, I did so that Jason could get a pat on the back, not so God could get glory. That's what a changed heart looks different than the old one because the old one cared about self. The new one in Jesus should care about the glory of God above all others. You with me so far? Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God. Just remember, we as Christians don't deserve all that we've been given. God gets glory for that. Number two, notice he says in verse one, we do not lose heart. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Paul has just explained something that is true for us as Christians. Living for God can be awfully discouraging. Ministering for God can be awful discouraging sometimes. Why is that? What makes it discouraging? What's so discouraging about sharing Jesus with people? Not everybody gets it, nor do they want it. When you tell people about Jesus, most of them aren't like, yay, I was hoping somebody would show up and talk to me about Jesus. No, most of them are like, would you please take that home? We're going to face a lot of discouragement when we're telling people about Christ because not everybody wants to hear about him. In fact, many would just prefer you never bring his name up again. That can be discouraging. God, I thought you were going to use us for big purposes. So, God, you could show your... He does, but it's filled with a lot of terrible things. A lot of people rejecting. A lot of people disparaging. You might not get places in life because you talk about Jesus too much. And because of that, we can be prone to do what? Lose heart. Get weary of talking about Jesus. Start to get faint talking about him. Because it's like, what's the point? Why isn't this working out the way it's supposed to? Churches can fall into the same thing. How come the whole community isn't just showing up here? Wanting to hear about Jesus. Well, because most of our community doesn't want to hear Jesus. You know how I know? Because I used to not want to hear about him either. So we're going to face discouragement. Paul wants us to know, he's telling the Corinthians, and we as a byproduct get to hear it as well, ministering for Jesus can be awful discouraging. But God says, do not be discouraged. Do not lose heart. Why? Why would he say that? How could he say that? Well, first I want you to notice that he points out a couple of different ways people respond to discouragement. Verse 2, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. So what's one response to discouragement in preaching Jesus? Twist it a little bit. Soften it up a bit. Talk about something else. Yeah, talk about Jesus, but leave out that whole sin part because that's pretty ugly. Do I need to convince you that you can talk to a lot of Christians who leave out the whole idea that we need to be saved from anything? There are pastors on TV all the time telling you it's not about the ugliness of sin. It's just, just look at Jesus and love him. We can, in the midst of discouragement, guess what we can be prone to do? Stop talking about Jesus. 
start twisting what he said, start apologizing for him, or just kind of leave him out of the focus. Let's talk about what the church does and how we can provide things for you. We can soften, we can ignore, we can take the focus off of him. And just so you know, because Paul is saying this, there must be people in the church in Corinth doing this. Remember he talked in chapter 2 about those who peddle God's word? Those who use the word of God for their own gain? Guess what? That's one of the marks that can happen in discouragement. We start to soften, twist, leave out, forget, focus on other things. Paul says we've rejected this. We've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We've refused to practice cunning, which means to be deceitful or trick people. You know what? Send me $100, I'll send you a prayer cloth. Really? That's, that's cunning. That's deceitful. We refuse to tamper with God's word, Paul says. We refuse to manipulate it. We refuse to pick and choose from the Bible. We refuse to twist it and say what we want. We prefer and we pursue not watering down what God has said in his word. Is that going to make you popular and me popular? No. But guess what? That's the response that Paul has. While some are seeking to be divisive and use trickery and manipulate God's word, Paul says, we do not. Notice what he says. By the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So Paul says, instead of practicing cunning or tampering with God's word, he says, instead, we give you open statement of the truth. We're not hiding anything about Jesus. We're teaching everything he said, and we're not apologizing for it. Paul and his, command, uh, his companions rest in the open statement of the truth, straightforward, plain, proclaiming of the truth of Jesus. And again, Paul's implying that not everybody in the church in Corinth is doing that. And just so you know, he's implying that it's going to be that way every age that we walk through. As a church, sometimes... We can let discouragement be the launching pad for manipulating the truth of God for better results. We don't want to lose ground to other churches. We don't want other churches to grow while we don't. So we're willing to bend or focus on other things. By the way, that's not new. It's been going on from the beginning. We, like Paul, should be saying we've renounced cunning and manipulative ways we commend ourselves by the open statement of the truth about who Jesus is. We're not hiding it. We're not covering it up. We lovingly teach Jesus and take him everywhere we go. So that's a great, glorious ministry. We don't deserve it. There could be discouragement, but we also have been given the truth in Jesus that we get to go take to every person we see and we know. So what's the problem? Verse 3 and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. That's a major problem. That the gospel is veiled or hidden, not visible to those who are perishing. Even in chapter 3, Paul had pointed out that the gospel was veiled to the minds of many Jewish people who knew and read the Old Testament and yet didn't understand that they were speaking of Jesus. But just because the gospel is veiled doesn't mean it's some deficiency in the message itself. Doesn't mean we need to change the gospel. Doesn't mean we need to teach another gospel. Because he tells us why it's veiled. 
He said, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Now, let me tell you what I'm not saying, and I don't think Paul is saying. Paul is not saying that we are innocent victims, that Satan is just pulling strings and we've got nothing to do with this. He's just blinded us. The Bible speaks plenty about the fact that that does occur, but it's not because we're innocent victims and Satan is just using us as a pawn. That blinding happens because people reject Jesus. They reject the truth of him. And guess what Satan does? He's perfectly happy being a part of that. And veiling, covering the eyes of people so they can't spiritually see. See, what's going on is people are rejecting Christ. They're rejecting the good news of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his sacrifice in their place so that they can be forgiven. They're rejecting that and Satan is blinding their eyes to the truth. That's what we're encountering as Christians when we go into a lost world. That's why there's rejection. That's why there's discouragement. Because that's a reality. And it's a perfect tense word, which means it continues to be veiled in their eyes. So Satan works in blinding those who have rejected Jesus, those who have heard the gospel and rejected how does he do that? Well, preventing preaching often. Shutting the word of God down. <laughs> Watching churches give self-help messages instead of sermons on the Bible. Watching people spend a half hour telling stories. Never mentioning a verse of God's word. How else can he do it? Preventing people from seeing and tasting the goodness of Christ. People can sit in church for years and not see Jesus. So people can hear the message often, but they can't see or taste him, his goodness. And the thing is, there is nothing else we can give besides him. And the reason is because we're told in verse 4, that in Jesus, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, has been given to look on Jesus is to look on God himself. He is the very image, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, according to Hebrews chapter 1, 3. So we have nothing to bring to people of any everlasting worth besides Jesus because he is God in the flesh. There is no one else who can rescue them. So we can't soften it. We can't remove the focus off Jesus because if we do that, we've stopped being light. We can't twist it. We can't manipulate it. Jesus is who he is. We either trust him or we don't. And we need to bring people the good news that they can find forgiveness of sin in Christ. They can. And we're walking testimonies of that. But there is that problem. Before salvation, there are blinded eyes that cannot see. But that's not the end of the story. We have glorious ministry that's been given to us, not because we deserve it, but because God is good. That ministry is going to be really, really hard. You know why? Because there's a big old problem. That is the fact that people are blinded to spiritual truth. They don't see Christ and they don't understand him. But there's a remedy. Folks, there's a remedy. To the big problem of spiritual blindness, there's a remedy to it. And guess what it is? It's the good news of Jesus his life, death, and resurrection, his ability to rescue sinners from the depths of their sin. 
Notice what he says in verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Notice who's the focus of, the, of all the good news. Notice who the focus is? It's Jesus. He said, we don't proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus as Lord. Just so you know, some people get up and say they talk for Jesus, but the whole focus is themselves. Woo, watch out, right? Anytime you see that happening, go, woo, that's, that's problematic. Here, Paul says, our focus is not ourselves, it's Jesus. Why? He is the Lord. He's the master. He's the king. There is no one else to point people to. Anything we point other than Jesus is actually robbing people of joy and glory found only in Christ. We can't give them anything else. There's nothing else that's worth this much. There's only one Savior, only one who died in our place. So we're not the object of worship. Jesus is. Paul says we're not commending ourselves above Christ. He's the Lord. We are his what? Servants. Paul doesn't want people worshiping him. He wants people worshiping Jesus. And why? Verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. While Satan is seeking to blind the minds of people to the good news of Jesus, the glory of God found in the face of Christ, while Satan is seeking to blind people, guess what God's doing? Opening eyes so people can see. Opening eyes so that when people read verses in the Bible, they don't see themselves, they see Jesus. They see the goodness of what he has provided for them. God is in the business of bringing sight to blind people. I wonder if that's why Jesus was going around healing so many blind people. Are you with me? Jesus wasn't doing miracles to go, poof, ain't that awesome? Jesus was healing blind people, giving them sight to show, I do that spiritually. I make blind people see. That's why we can't bring them anything but Jesus, because no one else can do that. Sorry, <clears throat> no one else can do that. <laughs> That's why we have to show them Jesus. Can I help you? Paul was an example of this. Folks, I find it interesting that Paul is writing these verses about being blind and seeing. Before Jesus, Paul thought he saw correctly. Paul thought he was serving God by going and finding Christians and locking them up and killing them. He thought the Christians were blaspheming God. He thought he saw, but what was he? He was spiritually blind. He could see physically, but spiritually he was blind to what he was doing. You with me so far? Then he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus, doesn't he? And what happens when he encounters Jesus? Bright light shines. And guess what happens? After an encounter with Christ, what happens to Paul for three days? Can't see a thing. So he had gone from physically being able to see to spiritually being able to see. And when that happened, he physically went from being able to see to not being able to. Why? God's opening eyes through Jesus alone, and Paul had a front row seat to it. When he's writing these verses, I can imagine him going, I remember when I was blind for three days because I ran into Jesus and he was glorious and he was so perfect and he was so beautiful, I couldn't believe it. 
because God opens up the eyes of the blind. That's why we don't lose hearts. Because while Satan is trying to blind people to the truth and people are rejecting Jesus, guess what God's doing? Opening eyes. Opening eyes. Bit by bit. Giving people spiritual eyes to see. Spiritual eyes to see. Over and over again. And just so you know, the Corinthians were a perfect example of that. People who did not know Jesus, God opened their eyes to be able to see. And now they see the glory of God in Christ. They see the beauty of God in his worth. You with me so far? That's what happened to you when you trusted in him. God took your blind eyes and he opened them so you could finally see the beauty of Jesus. And if you don't know Christ this morning, guess what God can do right now? To be able to see the beauty of Jesus and to know that no one else can rescue your soul. That in Christ, there is forgiveness and joy everlasting. So don't lose heart. Ministry is going to be really, really tough. By the way, y'all are ministers. Y'all know that? If you're a Christian... You are a minister. It's not just me. You're a minister. You take Jesus everywhere you go. You're meant to tell people about him. You're not meant just to collect a paycheck and drive home and rinse and repeat. You're meant to be a witness to Christ and to point them to the fact that they can be forgiven too. You're used to that. God uses you to accomplish that. In whatever frame he puts you, in whatever sphere of influence he gives you, you are a walking testimony and a proclaimer of Jesus. At least you should be. So don't lose heart. Satan seeks to blind, but God opens eyes. Who's more powerful? Who's more powerful? Remember what he said earlier in chapter 2? There's division rising up. Satan's trying to use schemes against the church to get them divided and hating one another instead of loving Christ together. But guess who's more powerful than Satan is? God is. Because while Satan is mighty, God is all mighty. Same is true here. Don't be discouraged. Don't lose heart. When you keep sharing with lost people and they hate you for it and they reject it over and over again and they call you names and you lose the promotion at work, don't lose heart. Don't grow faint of telling people about Christ. You know why? Because God uses the proclamation of Jesus to open people's eyes and to allow them to have new life in Jesus alone, to be forgiven of their sin and to dwell with him forever. That is good news and it means that we've got a purpose today that Satan cannot thwart. Satan blinds. God shines the light. Just like he did in creation when he said, let there be light. God does the same thing in human hearts every single day. Y'all catch that? When you read Genesis 1, you're reading about how God saves people. Just as physical light brought Light in the midst of darkness. So Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, brings light to a dark world. So here's what we got. We are instruments for God to be used for his glory. It's going to be discouraging sometimes. We're going to have to pick each other up because it's going to get rough. But don't lose heart. Here's what I think we learned. Number one, we need Jesus. We need Jesus and we need the good news about him. 
As a church, as Christians, we have nothing to offer people of greater worth than the fact that Jesus died in their place so that they could be forgiven. We need Jesus because apart from Christ, we are blind to our spiritual condition. We think we're okay, but we're not. This morning, you need Christ. Not good works, not do stuff, not earn from God. You need Jesus alone. Number two, God has acted. You needed Jesus, so guess what he did? He sent him to you. He sent Jesus to redeem and rescue us from the depths of our sin. That means everything centers on Jesus. Everything. Everything we do, say, think, accomplish, it all centers on Jesus because he alone is the central focus of all of creation and God's work of redemption. Number three, every Christian is a minister for Christ. Every Christian is a minister for Christ, which means you are taking Jesus everywhere you go. And that's good news. Because what you bring to people is life-giving news that there can be forgiveness from our sin. Don't ever lose sight of the fact that just because you don't collect a paycheck from Fairhaven Baptist Church does not mean you're not just as much of a minister as I am. God's using you where he puts you to tell people about the goodness of Jesus. How awesome is that? Lastly, don't lose heart. Ministry will be difficult, but God is all-powerful, and he will save people from their sin. As a church, that means we have to keep on teaching Jesus, keep on proclaiming the truth about him. We can't manipulate it. We can't reshuffle it. We can't soften it. We teach the truth about Jesus and we do it without shame because we believe it is the message of life to those who are dead. It also means we don't lose heart for those you know who haven't trusted in Jesus yet. You may have family, friends, coworkers. You've told them about Jesus and they've rejected over and over and over again, don't give up on them. Don't lose heart. Don't stop. Don't quit. God saves people all the time. Not just the first time they hear the gospel, but often the hundredth or thousandth time they've heard the gospel. Don't stop praying and teaching people about Jesus. Even when they tell you to shut up, don't stop. But do it in love. We share the truth in love because what we want is we want them to have everlasting joy. You're not against your coworkers. You're not against your neighbors. You're not against your family members who don't believe in Jesus. You're for their joy. And you love them and you graciously share the good news of Christ with them. And you trust that God will accomplish his good purposes. No one is too far in sin that God's grace can't rescue them. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Keep trusting. Keep speaking of Christ and glorify him. The one who rescued you from the depths of your sin and made you a minister of the gospel. Preach him everywhere you go and glorify God with a life offered up in sacrifice to him. This morning, you and I need Jesus. Whether it's the first time or the hundredth time, we need Jesus one more time. We need to cast everything before him. Maybe you're here this morning. You thought that the whole way to become a Christian was just be a good person and you'll find your way there. That's not the Bible. This morning I want you to know you'll never find your way to God. That's why he showed up to you. 
That's why he sent his son to you. So what you need is to trust in Christ, his perfection alone, his sacrifice, his life, his death, his resurrection. You trust in him as the only one who can rescue you from your sin. And Christians in the room, are we living our lives as ministers of the gospel? Or are we busy doing a whole lot of nothing that doesn't have eternal significance? I'm not saying jobs don't matter. I'm not saying family's not important. I'm not saying hobbies don't matter. What I am saying is they all fall in subjection to Jesus. Everything we do is because we love Christ supremely. And so we do everything for the glory of God. Maybe you and I haven't been doing it like we should. Maybe you and I have gotten a little discouraged lately. Maybe we've become overwhelmed. And maybe what we need to do is go before God one more time and say, God, we can't do this on our own. We need you. You've got to help us. Maybe we need to confess sin that we've started to love more than Jesus. Maybe we need to lay that down before him and know that when we confess our sin, Jesus does forgive us. This morning, you need to respond to Jesus. You need to respond to him. Whether it's trusting him for the first time or declaring your desperate need for him to be a minister of reconciliation. Good news, in Christ we have everything we need to go into a lost world and point them to the good news of Christ. How glorious is that? And God deserves worship. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I love you. And I thank you for your word one more time reminding us of the fact that, God, we desperately need you. And, God, our lives are not just pointless toiling through jobs and school and hobbies and things we have on our schedule, God. Our lives are purposeful because they're meant to be lived out in ministry to you, God to share the ministry of reconciliation with other people around us who desperately need to know that forgiveness can be found in Christ alone. So Father, I'm asking you to do a work in our hearts who are in this room. God, to help us to see how glorious Christ is so that we might turn to him and trust in him alone for our forgiveness from our sin. That he alone can pay the penalty for our sin. So Father, give us a picture, help us to behold the beauty of Christ and what he did on the cross for us, that while he was bleeding and dying and giving up his own body and his own life, he was doing that in our place. He was paying for our sin. And Father, may people trust in his sacrifice alone. So Father, this morning, draw people to yourself who don't know him. Draw people and help them to see that they need to confess their sin, turn away from trying to be their own God and trust in the only one true God there is. And Father, I pray this morning for Christians. God, so often we can have our eyes fixed on things that are temporary, things that ultimately don't have eternal significance. God, we can get busy doing things in this life that aren't ultimately for you. God, help us turn our eyes back on you to see what you're doing eternally. God, that we would look not to what is seen, but what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. God, that we'd live lives that echo that. That our concern is not how much our paycheck is or where our house is or how many cars we have or how our bank account is doing or how our retirement fund is doing. But God, our focus is on how can we live and, and use every single second of life we have to the glory of Christ. Help us, God. We are so easily distracted. Father, help us to turn our eyes back on you and to live our lives as living sacrifices, pouring ourselves out to tell people about Jesus. That just as you rescued us, God, you can rescue others that we love. You can rescue our community, God, and we ask you to do it. But help us to be proclaimers of the good news. God, help us not lose heart 
It's hard to minister for you. It's difficult to be rejected by people. It hurts to have things said about us that we don't want to have said. But God, it's all worth it if it means we get to tell people about Jesus. So help us put our worth in what you see in us and not what others do. Help us to realize that we're image bearers of Christ. And because of that, we have everything we need and we are satisfied in him. God, help us to do that so that we wouldn't be afraid to share with our folks that we know that Jesus is the king and they can be forgiven. Oh, Lord, help us to cling to your word. Help us to teach it without shame. Help us to love you supremely. God, as we come to you this morning, we confess our sin. We lay it before you and we ask you, God, to help us to walk in the power of your spirit, proclaimers of the good news of Jesus. Father, I pray you do this so that you might receive more glory today, that you might save folks. And God, you might use us to do that. Oh, Lord, you alone deserve praise and glory in this place. May you receive it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.